Hey, y'all. Hey, what's up? So, welcome. Welcome back, of course. Always welcome. And welcome if you're new. And welcome if you're old. All are welcome. Yes. If you're new here, I'm Torella. I'm Tori. And we're sisters. Yes. And uh, we're going to be your guide for the next hour on this thing called life. Yeah. And let's go ahead and get it out of the way. Um, we're awkward as fuck. Oh, yeah. I think that that goes without saying, but yeah, we since can't we're awkward, our, we say it anyway. Yeah, we can't get our intro down. We can't get our outro down. It's been three fucking years and we still if can't get it down. If you think this is awkward, wait till we try to end this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> the dismount is messy. Yes, <laughs> it is. But... Um, you know, it's just, it's lighthearted in here. Yeah. And we're just going to hang out and talk about this, uh, documentary that is Amanda Knox. Yes. So strap in, kitties. Yeah. And this is one that we really didn't plan on doing, but we've had a lot of requests for it. Um, so we're going to just still do it, I guess. Give her the old college try. Yeah. I mean, why not? Um, what the fuck else do we have to do, you know? Yeah, right. Okay, so, Laura, Ellison, we're going to do our thank yous for uh, everybody who requested it. Thanks to Laura, Ellison. Also, Laura gets the award for the most cases requested. Woohoo! I think she submitted, like, over 20. Wow. Yeah, so... And There's we more have cases than I even know about. I know. And we have another one. Our next one is going to be um, one of yours, Laura. So hold <laughs> on tight. And uh, thank you to Marisol Cervantes and Erica Simpron. You sounded so confident with that, the pronunciation. I'm super sorry if I messed that up. <laughs> okay. So let's get into Foxy Noxie. If you don't know this case, you can watch this documentary on Netflix, but I feel like everybody has Netflix and everybody's already seen this. So if you have seen it, then let's, uh, it is fun to talk about stuff that you've watched with other people. Let's revisit it. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. Okay. So we first meet Amanda, like right out the gate and she's our main narrator through the whole thing. I mean, we talked to pretty much everybody involved in the case, but that's not true. We don't talk to Meredith's family at all. Dewey. But um, she says something pretty interesting. She says she's either a wolf in sheep's clothing or she's you, me, everyone. Like, either she's your worst nightmare or she's the girl next door. Like, yeah. And 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 if she's the girl next door, then then what happened to her could happen to any of us. And like either option is terrifying because it's like, okay. Well, if you're that much of a psychopath, like, I feel like you'd have to probably rival Ted Bundy as far as hiding it for her to be the murderer that they said she was. Or if she's you and me and it could happen to anybody, oh, shit. Yeah, we've got like a making a murderer type of yeah situation on our hands. The case takes place in November 2007. Amanda goes to Perugia, Italy, to study abroad. Sounds fucking amazing. I know, right? Like, sign me up. Right? God. Not even in school, but I'd do it. I know. I'll go to school for that. 
be like, um, hey, Andrew, I just signed up for college, but I'm going <laughs> to study abroad the whole time. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Um, I mean, Arrivederce. Oh, yes, of course. She shared a house with some other girls, one being a British exchange student named Meredith Kircher. And Amanda says she thought the schoolwork was going to be really difficult, but it ended up not being. She said it was just like she didn't really have much to do. So she ended up getting a job. And the owner of the bar that she worked at was Patrick Lumumba. She meets Rafael Solacito, and they share a week-long whirlwind romance. Yeah, it seems like it was, I don't know. Whirlwind is the only word I guess you could use to describe it. Yeah. Damn, they didn't waste any time. Right. And, like, by the time the murder takes place, they've only been together for, like, five days. So it's... It almost seems like you're thinking they've been together for, like, a couple months at this point, but they literally just met. But you know how it is when you're, like, what is she, like, early 20s there, like, super early 20s? I was going to say, like, late teens, early 20s, and you're in love with everyone, and... Yeah, and, like, you... It's just hot and heavy, you know? It's like those... honeymoon phase. Yeah, where you're, like, inseparable, spending every moment together. Like, you can't get enough of each other. Well, and think about it. I mean, it's a fucking Italian man named Raphael. Like, I don't know. I've watched a ton of Olsen twins movies, and I know that you always want to find your true love wherever you're vacationing and Mm. or studying abroad. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. So... And also, like, yeah, you're an American girl, you're in Italy, and you, yeah, you meet an Italian dude, like, bang city. I know, right? That's all there is to it. Boner town. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, and that, I mean, that's just, like, how it is when you first, you know, if you're major whore like Amanda Knox. Oh, oh my gosh. Just kidding. But, <laughs> of course, that's what the press right. runs Oxy, with. Oxy. Um. But it reminds me of that song uh, by Graham Colton. Why can't it be like the first week? Oh, yeah. And he talks about, you know, and my clothes are on the floor or whatever. It's just like, you just like cannot, you just can't get enough of each other. Right. So that's them. They meet and they're instantly just like always together. Mm-hmm. And I guess for him, he's like, you know, ooh, an American girl or whatever. <laughs> right. It's very like Romeo and Juliet because they're so, they're young, they're naive. They're like, okay. We're in it for the long haul, obviously. We've been together for five whole days. Yeah. This is it. You like pizza? I like pizza. And we're going to, like, just bang our brains out. Yeah. And have lots of Uh, sex and babies. Yes. (laughs) 23 little kitties. Yeah. So, Raphael says that they went back to his place, and he started preparing a joint when they first started hanging out. Preparing a joint. Pretty sure that's what he said. But he said the night kind of went a different way, and it had a happy ending. I'm going to guess that means a little, what do you, I'm trying to think of a clever way of saying this. Well, it sounds like he went to a massage parlor, but he didn't. Right. Maybe they did a little, maybe they played a little massage parlor of their own. (laughs) Yeah. It was just funny the way he like, I don't know, I guess. A little afternoon delight. (laughs) Yeah. Just, and it had a happy ending. It's like, that's cute. Um... Amanda said that she had never been in love before. So like you said, it's like, you know, that kind of puppy love, just like naive. Okay, this is it. Because they literally know nothing about each other, probably. 
Um, then we start to hear the news coverage that Meredith Kircher, a 22-year-old British exchange student, has been found dead in her home. And they show pictures of the crime scene somewhat, and there's just blood everywhere. I mean, it's a super, super bloody scene. It's it's bad. It's really bad. So this is the girl that, one of the girls that Amanda shared a house with. Um, did they, sh- they didn't share a house with more than one person. Was I it thought just it was just them? the two of them. Okay, because when she said, okay, so I fucked that up, guys, sorry. I thought she said she shared with girls. Oh, I thought it was Maybe just she had lived with another girl or something before, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, because I think it's just her and Meredith in that house at this point. So, the lead, we, we talked to the lead prosecutor, Giuliano Mignini. Mignini? I think either way you go, that's fine. Okay. So, uh, this guy. You're going to call him Giuliano? Yeah, that's, I like that. Um, he's interesting. He, he takes us, initially he takes us, like, through the scene, and everything that he says is in Italian, so. You get the subtitles. Yeah. And he says that Meredith had been held down very violently and had an extremely deep wound to her throat. And he said it stuck with him because of how deep it was. He said while he's at the scene, when he first arrived there, he saw two young people outside comforting each other and being affectionate, which he felt was totally inappropriate. And this is Amanda and Raphael. I'm not sure I find that inappropriate. I don't either. And they show it, like, because there's news media everywhere. So you see this in the documentary. And they're standing outside and he's, like, hugging her and consoling her. her. Yeah. And she's not sobbing by any means um, or anything like that, which, you know, we've talked about that a hundred thousand times. That's not... It's kind of, uh, like... That's all, what is it, subjective, you yeah. know, like. To each his own. Exactly. You know? Not everybody's um, going to react the way that you feel like they should react. Yeah, so immediately he zeroes in on Amanda because she's the one who found, or who called 911, because well, they couldn't get into Meredith's room. And they say, I mean, that's the people that they focus on family members, like people who are close to the victim, and the person who found the body yeah. or called it in. And as they should. Like, just certainly you should check that person out. Well, because there are a ton of people that they... It's like the thrill of calling their own kill mm-hmm. in or whatever. Yeah. For sure. Showing up at crime scenes or, like, serial killers who go back to, like, visit the bodies and stuff. Um, But because of the fact, I guess, that she's the one that called it in, but then also... Her wildly inappropriate behavior at the crime scene, um, hugging her boyfriend or whatever, they're really, like, locking in on her. Yeah, they're like, that's at least 1,600 red flags right there. Yeah, exactly. That's how they're, you know... Treating it. Yeah. And the press runs wild with this case, and we meet a journalist named Nick Pisa. He's with the Daily Mail... And I fucking hate this guy. I hate him, too. I mean, he I is an asshole. Well, and it seems like he's one of those, like, scummy people that has no morals and no ethics and just, like, 
No. Whenever he needs to get a good story. Like, just that slimeball reporter guy. Yeah. Do you understand that the world does not revolve around you and your do-whatever-it-takes, ruin as many people's lives, so long as you can make a name for yourself as an investigatory journalist, no matter how many friends you lose, or people you leave dead and bloodied along the way, just so long as you can make a name for yourself as an investigatory journalist, no matter how many friends you lose, or people you leave dead and bloodied and dying along the way? No matter how many people you leave dead and bloodied along the way. Right, exactly. <laughs> investigative journalism. Exactly. Yeah. And he, like the head right. Oh, <laughs> which head right is it? <laughs> <laughs> the headlines read like House of Horrors and other things like that. And when Nick's talking about it, you can tell he just. He fucking loves it. He's, like, jazzed up about it. And he's like, oh, a murder always gets people going. And he's just, like, talking about how just perfect and excellent this case was for his career. Oh, absolutely. And he's, like, beaming about it and just so, so excited about it. And I'm like, you're a piece of shit. Yeah, he's such a piece of shit. I had just watched um, The Little Mermaid on Disney+. Plus. (laughs) Like, a couple days before this. Not where I was expecting that to go. <laughs> I know. And I was like, he either sold his soul to the devil or Ursula. Like, what is she holding from him? Yeah. Because he's just an a-hole. Yeah. Like, maybe she's got his mojo and a little seashell around her neck. Maybe. Because he's got no soul. Mm-mm. He's empty inside. No. I mean, yes. He has yes. no soul. Yes. No soul. <laughs> Yes, empty. (laughs) Got it. Okay, so he says Italy wanted to prove that they could solve this murder because they're in international news. I mean, it went everywhere. And at one point, at one point, um, Amanda talks to her mom on the phone, maybe, or her mom goes to visit her in jail. I don't remember which it is, but her mom is like, yeah, you know, it's in the news everywhere. And Amanda's like, it is? What? Like, this is crazy. So, I mean, it's kind of insane how much it blew up. Like, just and not even i mean i've heard of other cases where somebody internationally gets put into prison and it's a terrible thing but it did not get the kind of and media attention that this case did you no know? and this case got no attention because of meredith no and that's the sad thing it was because of foxy noxy yeah it was all about this sex siren who the man eater and you know she just used men for sex and she could like it was like witchcraft almost the way they talked about it but she just used her sexual prowess right like a siren like yeah and i mean she's she's like a college student a quirky college student from fucking seattle can you imagine being amanda knox in that moment and like like, finding yourself in this kind of position and then all of a sudden everybody's like painting you the certain way much like Monica Lewinsky, but we'll talk about that another time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, not the same thing, but there are similarities. You know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just really insane. We see the press conference of Meredith's family. Her sister Stephanie is speaking, and I just, I noticed because of how much weight they were putting on Amanda's behavior and her attitude or whatever, Stephanie's not crying at all. And... Of course, that doesn't mean that she's not devastated that they've lost Meredith. Of course, that doesn't mean that she's not upset. She's just holding it together. She's doing what she needs to do. But again, you know, this is somebody who's incredibly close to Meredith. 
And she's not breaking down sobbing all the time. It's possible to be sad, but also not cry. Like, it's possible well, to try to pull yourself together yeah. in a moment or even be in shock. Well, and also, Amanda only knew Meredith for, like, two weeks. Right. Like, it's not like they were best friends. I mean... Right. I'm sure, though, and this is probably... I know this is exactly what they tried to do, or this is probably played into it, but how closely she got involved with Raphael, and it was, like, a five-day thing. And they're like, well... But you knew her for twice as long, and you don't... You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Still, though, obviously, it's way different. Oh, for sure, yeah. but, you know, doesn't look great on her yeah. end. Yeah, for sure. So, investigators are attempting to learn what they can about Meredith. They're exploring her relationships. Was she dating anybody? You know, all those things. They want to start with her, you know, closest circle, kind of work their way out. And... See if there's, you know, any reason. Was there a relationship that went wrong? Or, you know, what could have led somebody to want to kill her? The autopsy revealed that male DNA was inside Meredith's body. There were small nicks in her chin, like somebody they said had tortured her. Um, And I wonder, too, because she was stabbed to death. So, you know, were they kind of holding it to her chin to try to make her do something in those, like, little, like, um, teaser wounds? I don't remember what they call them, but you know what I mean, like, the yeah kind of teaser wounds. And the police believed that Meredith had been part of a group sex scheme that had gone wrong, and Nick was there to report it first before anyone else that Meredith was part of this orgy and was killed in the, pro- the process. So... He literally just heard that, like, hey, one theory that we've got is maybe, and where the fuck did that theory come from, first of all? Because that drags her through the mud, too. Yeah, that's such a stretch, and it's just, I don't know, it's wildly, it's, they, I think that it was inappropriate for someone to have a theory like that and let it leak to the press because the media is going to jump all over a scandal like that. Exactly, and Nick is like, you know, I got to report it first. Like, yeah, he's proud of it. Yeah, he's super proud of it. And he doesn't wait for any kind of confirmation or anything like that. He just probably overhears something or somebody says, hey, we're kind of thinking this or not sure. And again, why were they even thinking that? That is the fucking dumbest shit I've ever heard of. The way that I got, the, the thing that I got from Nick was that he probably, I mean, and you know, this is just an exaggeration, but he could have very easily had overheard somebody talking about their theory about Meredith and then also said something about a, I don't even know, a soap opera that they watched. And he was like, got it. It's a sex scandal. I mean, a sex orgy turned turned terrible or what, oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like uh, he could have, well, he didn't make it up because they definitely did think that it had to do with a sex game. But I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, but yeah, I, exactly. And he even says at one point in the documentary, what am I supposed to do? Go check facts? What a fucking job. Yeah, by the time I check stuff, the story somebody, somebody else, else is... will report it and I won't be first, and that's the most important. And he also doesn't print any retractions or anything. And again, if he did, like the damage is done. Like once people say something about somebody, no matter and I think this case is actually a perfect example of that. No matter what you do to go back and be like, hey, we were wrong, or, like, even if they had done stuff like that, 
there are still plenty of people that you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube yeah you know like it's it's out there yeah and the reputation is already tarnished and i also think that it's fucked up saying what they said with no evidence no evidence of an orgy gone wrong because that also paints meredith i mean luckily a lot of people aren't talking about it that way but that doesn't make her sound great right like that's not the kind of behavior that she was engaged in so why basically accuse her of that she's dead Mm -hmm. she can't defend herself right like what the fuck italian police and why do you think everybody's dying in sex orgies what's going on over there i only know i think only probably 20 percent of people die in sex orgies yeah but no more than 20 right yeah they're making it sound like it's something like 30 or 80 or something Yeah, it's a small percentage sure yeah so nick says that his name on the front page is just a fantastic buzz and we managed to get it out to the british press before anyone else and that was a scoop that we had and it made headlines all over the world to see your name on the front page with a great story that everyone's talking about. It's just a fantastic buzz. I mean, I'd like to say it's like having sex or something like that, you know? I hate him. I hate him. Yeah, he's almost worse. Fucking worst. Then what is that guy? W. M. William Phelps. M. William Phelps. God, I cannot remember his name. I try to block him out all the time. He's up there. Yeah. Actually, I think he ha- I hate Nick more. I do, too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the other guy is just... He's so charismatic and over-the-top and ridiculous, but at least he does honest work. Yeah, you exactly. Know? He's, you can respect him in a way. Yeah. He's just he's just cheesy. Very. Yeah. But this guy just... No soul. Yeah. I think Phelps has a soul. I think so, too. Yeah. I think the documentarians purposefully put in the funeral footage directly after nick talking about what a great story it was just like to, to show really, what kind of really highlight that juxtaposition of him just being such an asshole because she's a person and he's just like this case is fantastic like it had every what more could you ask for in a murder case and he's not even concerned with the fact that somebody lost their life to get him one step closer to his career goal. Exactly. Like, he's viewing somebody, yeah, losing their life as a stepping stone for him. And she's got family and friends and people that loved her, that are devastated, that every year at Christmas, they're going to, they'll be mourning all over again, you know, on her birthday, like, whatever it is. And he doesn't even have the decency to preserve her reputation. Right. Yeah. Yeah, just run with whatever the fuck you here passing somebody in the street and go with it like yeah if it sells it sells yeah and we we do get to see a lot of pictures of meredith and um she just seems so sweet and like everything that everybody said about her was great she had a beautiful smile like you know she's in she's in italy she's studying abroad this should have been the absolute best time of her life and she got killed it's just so sad We get Amanda. So this is where Amanda talks about the fact that they hadn't known each other very long. They'd only known each other a few weeks. So she's like, you know, we weren't lifelong friends. Um, And she's like, it it even could have happened to me. Like, 
but I just happened to be at Raphael's that night. So, mm-hmm. you know, whoever broke in, like, they could have killed both of us. It could have, she could have been out, it could have been me. You know, it's just like a crapshoot, I guess. Just yeah. Like, you don't know what happens. Kind of, for lack of a better term, luck of the draw or something, you know? Yeah. So then she says what what happened that night, like her story of what happened that night. She says that they were watching Amelie. Isn't that how she says it? I think so. Isn't that Amelie? Yeah, isn't it Amelie? The French film with, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's how I've always pr- pronounced it. I'm pretty sure she says, we watched Amelie. Amelie. Okay. Uh, I think they pronounce it that way in the movies, too. Amelie. Yeah. She got a text from Patrick, her boss, saying that she didn't have to work that night. And she was really excited because, obviously, she just wanted to, like, stare at Raphael all night and, you know, make eyes at each other and stuff because (laughs) they were, like, super in love. So she said they hung out. They read Harry Potter. I think she said they read a, I don't know, some other language version of Harry Potter. I don't know. I'm not here to judge. And I like Harry Potter. Uh, I'm just not seeing that sex siren side of her from, you know, like the details aren't matching up with the, yeah, with exactly. the label there. I don't know. She wasn't like, you know, we went out and bought some whips and chains and yeah, whatever. I don't yeah. know. Crotchless panties. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they read Harry Potter. Uh, Great books, though. And made goofy faces at each other, which turned into kissing, and then they it's made kind love. Of precious, the yeah. little night that they had. I know it's like so. It's very like college, just innocent and sweet. Yeah, it's like you just sit around. You just want to like stare at each other. Yeah, and do like Pepe Le Pew, like. Yeah. And then you get married and you're like, isn't there somewhere you need to be right now? <laughs> Do you always have to be home? <laughs> um, yeah, so she says, and they made love and passed out. And I think, I'm not sure about this. I think that in America, you bang. Mm. But in Italy, you make love. Only. Only. Yes. I think that's the only thing you can do. <laughs> I only have Under the Tuscan Sun to compare it to. So, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what you do there. Because everybody refers to it as making love in this documentary. I'm like, wow. Wow. I like, I my preferred term is make whoopee. <laughs> yeah, that's great. All one. day, every day. <laughs> Making whoopee. But I didn't want to say it on here because it's a little inappropriate. It's a little risque, the oh, term. But yeah. Yeah. I think, they, I think we can handle it. Okay. She then went home after she woke up. So she just stayed the night there. She said when she got home, the front door was open already. And she's like, well, all right, I'm going in. No problems here. That's weird, but whatever. Unless she's us, I feel like, or people who are listening to this maybe as well, your first, your instinct wouldn't be somebody's been murdered in there. Because that's what we think all the time. If somebody takes mm-hmm. two turns the same as me behind me in their car, I'm like, they're going to murder me. Do you know how many times I've like driven way the fuck out of my way, gone to a neighborhood when we used to live out in the country because somebody would be following me for too long? And I'm like, well... I mean, you kind of have to drive like 15 miles in one direction to get anywhere out in the country. But when somebody's behind me long enough, I'm like, drive all the way to Shelbyville, basically, just so <laughs> that I'm like, I'm not pulling into my driveway because they are going to kill me. Oh, yeah. This is over. <laughs> my life is over. 
You like, go on this like speed chase, like, you know, this car chase by yourself, essentially. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And they're like, um, I'm just trying to like go over here to my friend's house, dude. I don't yeah, know what the problem is. Actually yeah. talking to the person right behind you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've definitely done that way too many times because I'm an idiot. But same girl, you know, scared. But yeah, so, you're in good company here. Exactly. So you get home, your front door is already open, 911 immediately. Totally. For us. But she walks in and she says, that's weird. Yeah. Let's keep going. So she goes in. She goes to the bathroom. She gets undressed to shower. She sees a few drops of blood in the sink. And I'm guessing they share a bathroom. It's like a common area. So she said she sees a few drops of blood in the sink. And she goes ahead and brushes her teeth. She's like, you know, sometimes you get a little blood in the sink. Just a couple drops. Not a lot of blood. If it's not a ton, I guess I can see it. I don't know. I've cut my hands on multiple things like Windex bottles. Yeah. Um, tweezer. You know, like just random inanimate objects that you should never be able to cut your fingers on. I have done it, so I get it. But all of these things, I feel like there would be a time when you maybe would piece them together. Like the door was open. But maybe, I mean, when you're young and naive like that, maybe she's hung over from the... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, or maybe like... They had issues with the door not latching all the way or, you know, something. I there don't could know. be there's so many variables. There, yeah. But or yeah. we're all super drunk and we left the door open before. I don't know. Totally. So, yeah. So she uses a little bit of blood, doesn't think a whole lot about it. And then she goes ahead and gets in the shower. But when she gets out, that's when she sees the blood on the bath mat. And this is more blood. And it's like smeared some. Then she sees feces left in the toilet. Yuck. And that's when she's like, okay, that really creeped me out. There's poop in my toilet. That's what, that's the thing that tipped her. That's the one. Okay. Yep. So she thinks maybe somebody else is in the house now. Maybe there's somebody else here. And so she because went. of the scary turds. Yes. Okay. <laughs> scary turds. Okay. Um, They were threatening her. <laughs> do i offend <laughs> yeah they said your next bitch <laughs> those turds so she said my god and she went back to Raphael's, and she's like come over here and check this out with me because i'm kind of freaked out so he goes back and he's he's like i was a little surprised uh, that she took a shower with all these things happening but she did so he definitely thinks it's kind of weird. And he's like, you know, I would have had a lot of anxiety in the house just with like the blood and the door already being open and like whatever. So they are trying to call out to Meredith. They don't hear her. She's not answering. They go and knock on her door and she's not answering either. And then when they try to open it, it's locked. And Amanda's like, that's unusual. She doesn't normally lock her door. So she's like, Raphael, break the door down. And he's like, Okay. Anything stand for back. you, my love. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to roundhouse kick it. And it's going to come right down. And he tries to kick it, and it doesn't come down because look at him. So they call the police. So the police get there. They break the door down. And they make everybody leave the house. So that's when everybody's, you know, just kind of standing outside waiting. They tell everyone there's blood everywhere and that Meredith's throat has been slit. And Amanda says that's how she found out Meredith had died. So... From what I understand, that footage that they're showing where Raphael's comforting her and all that kind of stuff, that would have been pretty close to when she 
found out. Sure, yeah. So, of course, the prosecutor is like, what the fuck? She didn't flip out. You know, she's just like hugging her boyfriend about it. I mean, it's they weren't making out. They weren't. You know, it, it didn't it did not in any way, shape or form look like, OK, guys, get a room. At the same time, though, I know that when I was in probably like my late teens, early 20s, things affected me differently than they would now. Like the gravity of things. I didn't grasp them then. You know, like now yeah. I take things more seriously. I realize that things could have been a lot more dangerous than they than they were. Or, oh, yeah, yeah you know, yeah, this sure. is a real thing that's happening. Whereas then I'm like, OK, well, but how does that affect me? You know, like you you're a little bit and I'm not saying she was, but yeah, I was a little bit more like yeah. self-centered. And oh, absolutely. Um, so I don't know if you can really count that against her that much. But again, you know, that's the slippery slope where we're like, well, can you, can you not, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. No, I think, yeah, I think what you're saying is definitely making sense. Prosecutor McNeeny, he says that he first suspected a woman was involved and listen to this here. Oh, God. Because Meredith was covered with blankets, which is something that only a woman does. <laughs> he says a man would never think to do this. Okay, Dan. Okay. Okay, Dan. Okay. Okay. Okay, Dan. Sure. Okay. Because what? Like, no. That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. It's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. I'm like, to make a generalization like that, when there's literally mountains of evidence that disproves that, like, women are not the only... I I have no words. You go ahead. I I can't talk about it right now. Okay. And like, are we talking about a seahorse situation? Because who left the sperm? Yeah. DNA. Right? Who left that? Right? A woman? Who left the turds? Women don't poop. That's absolutely true. Women can't poop. They cannot. They certainly don't toot. Oh, no. (laughs) Just kidding. But yeah, Yeah. the sperm, where the fuck did that come from? Exactly. I was just like, okay, so please don't tell me this is like standard knowledge and investigatory practice in Italy where they're like, obviously a woman did this because a man would never even think to cover the body. Again, also, obviously, the glaring thing is the sperm, but (laughs) it has happened so many times, people covering up the body because maybe they're ashamed of what they've done. Or, yeah, exactly. It happens all the fucking time. Yeah. Or even just like, uh, that's that's the equivalent of if he had tried to bury her body somewhere in like a shallow grave and covered it with like leaves or branches or something like he didn't bring her body outside of the house he left it there and either he covered it with blankets on purpose or in the struggle the blankets felt like it could have been that like Mm -hmm. they could have just fallen on top of her or something like i don't know yeah so crazy and he even like likens himself to fucking Sherlock Holmes. And I'm like, maybe the Will Ferrell one. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, there are multiple ones. Are you serious? And then he's like, immediately I knew that the break-in was staged because nothing was stolen. He says there could be no, no other reason for this other than to throw off suspicion of someone connected to the house. This is like a Pink Panther. Yes! Mr. Magoo type shit. Like, really? Yeah. He's like, okay, I know that there are a lot of cases where people will try to stage a robbery and then they're like, okay, well, nothing was stolen. So we're not really sure that that was the actual motive. But there are situations where people do break into somebody's house to rob them 
They think that they are walking into an unoccupied house, and then they are surprised by somebody who lives there. It's like a burglary, robbery gone wrong. They end up killing somebody, not planning to, but it just, they freak out. They don't want to get caught. They murder somebody, and then they end up leaving because they weren't planning on killing anybody. Like, it just, they get stressed out or freak out or whatever, and they just run away without taking the things that they mm-hmm. were going to take. So, it's, that's not, well, I mean, unless that doesn't happen in Italy. I know, but there are also such a thing as thrill killers, and they just enjoy killing someone. Yeah. Or a rape gone wrong. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. I mean, exactly. it's, and I think the worst thing that you could do as an investigator or a police officer and... You know, I'm an expert, obviously, but yeah, I think it's to make a generalization like that and be like, well, this always happens because once you start doing that, then you rule out the possibility that anything else could happen and then you let things slip through your fingers. Yeah. And that's also assuming that the only reason somebody would break into a house is to rob it. And like you said, people do break into houses to murder or to rape or whatever. So just because they don't think that a robbery occurred doesn't mean that somebody would not have broken into the house for another purpose. And perhaps the purpose that they broke into the house for was accomplished. Yeah. Like, that doesn't necessarily mean it was staged. It's just, I'm scared for Italy if he's still in any form of, if he's any form of the authority there on it or whatever. I know. Because his small-mindedness is really doing them a disservice. Wasn't it in Italy? Remember that mixtape um, where we covered the the case of the rape and the guys said got off for raping this woman because they said she was too ugly and the judge oh, agreed? Oh, I don't remember. I feel like that was Italy. But the judge was like, you're right. You couldn't have raped her. She's too ugly. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I feel like it was, but... Yeah, there's some there's some issues here. The day after the murder, the investigators brought Amanda back to go through the house and identify whether the murder weapon was missing from the knife drawer. And Amanda said it was then that it hit her all at once and it became real, you know, like the gravity of what had happened hit her and she realizes we're going through this knife drawer to see if the knife that murdered my roommate is missing or not it's it was italy i thought so i was like so that's what that's what we're working with here where a judge is like you're right this woman is definitely too ugly to have been raped yeah you're free to go are you fucking kidding me yeah so she said she became hysterical and the prosecutor says she started hitting her palms against her ears listen this guy Like, she had a memory of a sound or a scream, Meredith's scream. It's, like, coming back to her. She's hitting, she's hitting her hands against her ears, so she's remembering the crime (laughs) that she committed because she could, she was hearing Meredith screaming. He's getting all of this from just watching her. Really creating your own narrative there, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, it's like, okay, that's, it's the only thing that could be possibly happening, right? Exactly. It's like... She touched her ears, and what happens with your ears? You listen. So he, she must have been remembering <laughs> the screaming that she could hear when she killed Meredith. Wow. I, That's direct evidence. Somebody get that man a, a raise or something. I mean, he's he's got to be... He's the most smartest man in the world. Yeah, he's just like, 
he just walks into a crime scene and everything just comes to him, apparently. <laughs> wow. Like, seriously. Police end up tapping Amanda and Raphael's phones, and we hear a call between Amanda and one of her friends back home named Brett. And, again, these girls are super young. Um, but I think that hearing that call really drives home how naive and, you know, kind of like stupid young people are because Amanda's talking about being nervous about having to go to the police station. It's kind of freaking her out and all this stuff. And Brett's like, well, just remember, you're 20 and you're with a hot Italian guy named Raphael and this is going to be the best year of your life. Like, this is the best year of your life. And it's like, okay, well, but also, though, her roommate was just brutally murdered in the house that she shares with her. And, and they think that she did it. Yeah. It, it, and it this doesn't just last a year for her. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't just like, oh, I got to go to Italy for a few months. This is going to be, like, I mean, uh, of course, Brett can't know that she's going to be in jail for a couple of years and stuff like that. But it's just clearly there is a lack in understanding of how important this all is exactly so i think that that kind of shows you where amanda is with stuff too like no she's not probably taking it as seriously as she should be but she doesn't when you're 20 you just don't think about shit like that right you know like everything's just like It'll, you know, light and breezy. Yeah, it'll work out. Everything will work out. Like, whatever. So they bring in Raphael for questioning, and Amanda goes with him too because they are glued together. They're one now. Yeah. And uh, she waits outside the interrogation room, and he said immediately they were just being rude to him, and they weren't satisfied with any of his answers about being home that night. And they tell him that Amanda lies all the time. He said that they said, she's a stupid slut, she's a stupid cow, she doesn't care about you, and he said that, like, reality turns into something that it's not, and he says that he was home, he ends up saying that he he was home, but that Amanda did not get there until one in the morning. So before they were home together all night... But then he just said the longer they talked and talked and talked, he just felt like everything twisted and he just started telling them what they wanted to hear, basically. It happened so much. So much. So Amanda then finds out that Raphael has turned on her. That's what the police said. And they took her phone to prove that she was gone that night. So they find a text to Patrick that says, see you later, have a good night in Italian. And... What the police said was, because when he said, you don't have to work tonight, and she replied in Italian, which apparently translates to, it translated exactly to like, I will see you a little later or something like that. But what she was saying was, okay, have a great night. See you later. What they said was, no, you were making an appointment with him for later that night. But you just don't remember. (laughs) So are you on the murderer's side or are you on the police side? And they said, your mind is fucked. 
you don't know what you're talking about. You know, basically, like, we know that you saw Patrick that night. We know that you were setting up something with him for later. And you're just, like, blocking it out or something like that. Your mind's all fucked up and, like, all this stuff. And she's like, I got so frazzled. I I ended up saying, I don't know what the fuck is going on. And she said the police officer was like, oh, I know the word fuck. Well, fuck you, too. And, like, all this stuff. Like, because he doesn't know... He didn't understand exactly what she was saying, so he thought she was yelling fuck you to him. And so he's like, fuck you, too. Fuck you, too. And um, it just turned into just a big old mess. And yeah, they slap her in the back of the head to try to get her to remember, she said. Well, and the thing is, they're using this piece of evidence, like a text message in Italian, and that's not her native language. She's been there for a couple weeks at best, right? Might have known a little bit of Italian. I would not know any Italian. And so maybe she was trying to like stretch her little Italian legs and try to do, you know, speak as much as she could to just like practice and test it out and stuff. I mean, that would be, I wouldn't, it would not be translated well if I tried that, you know? Right. And then now we've got at the police station this like misinterpretation type of situation, but it's so. Yeah. Emotionally charged. Yeah, the language barrier is definitely becoming more obvious and causing a major problem on the like on Amanda's side that she yeah. didn't ask for. Right, and like her her saying just like "see you later." It's just interesting that they're like, no, that you set an appointment with him for that night. Tell like, me what time? Yeah, exactly. She, They didn't say, okay, see you at 10 o'clock. I'll meet you here or whatever. There wasn't anything specific at all. It was just like, see you later. So, you know, whatever. Like, see you the next time I work. Yeah, exactly. And so she said, you know, all this is going on. She's freaking out. And then she just says she broke. And she thought, okay, well, I if I don't remember this, you know, maybe I am going crazy. Maybe I have blocked something out of my mind or whatever. So she's thinking, well, if if I'm saying I'm going to see Patrick later, then maybe what I'm remembering is that I did see Patrick and that he killed Meredith. And the prosecutor is like, okay, um, yeah, that sounds fine. So that may he he just wanted anything that tied Amanda and Raphael to it. So he's like, okay, so Patrick killed her. That's fine with us, but you are accomplices because you were part of it. So he just anything that he could do to tie them to it. It's like the fucking Central Park Five when they finally found out who actually did attack the woman in that case, and. Instead of going back and saying, well, obviously these five people didn't do it, they were like, no, there was a sixth person that we just didn't catch. Well, yeah, it's like pride's at stake at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, that's why that's why the DNA that was found there didn't match any of the five that we convicted. There was a sixth person. Must have been. Yeah, ghost man on whatever. Right. Instead of, it wasn't them. Like, whatever. So... They, uh, the police, well, they arrest Amanda, Raphael, and Patrick Lumumba, and he's like, the fuck? 
fuck is going on? So the police conduct a press conference congratulating themselves for solving the case in such a short time. <laughs> They're like, look at us. They're doing a lot of like a yeah. like shaking their fists. Yeah. They're like, we worked really hard. We got a confession from the people that we already knew, you know, because obviously a woman did it because we all know it is a fact that a man would never cover a body up. So, I mean, look at us. We did it super fast. Cheers. Gelato for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Um, There were statements from Meredith's friends saying that Amanda behaved oddly in the waiting room. Um, I don't know, at at the hospital, at the police station? I'm not sure where they're talking about, but this was like right after the murder, I guess. And they said that one of them was like, I hope Meredith didn't suffer too bad and all these things. And they said Amanda was like, well, of course she fucking suffered. Her throat was cut. Like, you know, that would have been terrible. And I mean, I understand what she's saying, but let's. Let's Some clean it up, Amanda. Tact and, yeah. yeah. Like, again, you're you're not necessarily super close to her, but that's pretty difficult for somebody to hear who is. So, but I mean, that kind of goes back to 20 year olds and they only think about themselves. She probably really wasn't thinking outside of, you know what I mean? Like, right. They also said she did cartwheels and stretches and she was kissing Raphael and that's weird. It is weird. Um, but it's also an obvious sign that she's guilty. Yeah. Maybe he prepared a little ecstasy before. <laughs> They went wherever they were. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know what, though? That is a really good point. Like, they did do at least, you know, they smoked at least marijuana cigarettes. Right. So did they do other drugs? She was high as a fucking kite. Exactly. Like, she didn't know where the fuck she was. Mm -mm. Uh, Amanda's mom comes to visit her in prison, and she was like, I just needed my mom. But that's where they talk about, like, what a big case it was how it was like totally just all over the news internationally like everybody knows about it and amanda is just like i cannot believe this and nick says uh i couldn't believe that he said this uh girl on girl crime and i'm like ew ew i feel like whenever i see him or hear anything it's just like auto gag i'm like bleh it's just so i don't even know the right word for it but like yeah fuck off dude like it's trashy and it's demeaning and it's really it's cheesy it's disgusting like everything that he has to say is something that i didn't think a person could or should be capable of like he's disgust he's gross yeah, I don't think anybody... I've never heard the term girl-on-girl girl crime. I bet he's proud that he coined that. Yeah, it's like... It's almost... He's obviously trying to sexualize it. Oh, 100%. It's disgusting. Like, yeah. fuck off, dude. So, he said they found MySpace pictures of Amanda with a machine gun laughing. Um, I don't know where she was, but she's like holding... It looked like almost like a museum or some kind of like a tourist attraction of some sort. And she's like kind of standing behind one, I think. And she's laughing. It's a picture and she's laughing. Well, I know that you can go to like World War II, um, whatever's, you know, like 
any kind of um well you we you there are plenty of civil war places yeah here, yeah and there are cannons and i don't know gatling guns or something maybe i don't fucking know you yeah. know and yeah that's what it looks like plenty of things to pose like with yeah. yeah and she's posing with it and then they found a picture of Raphael dressed as a mummy holding a meat cleaver <laughs> halloween yeah yeah have you ever heard of halloween like yeah so you know they're like look at this everything is under a microscope when something like this happens yeah exactly um just the stretches that they went to to mm -hmm. be like oh my god how do we not see this coming yeah then we get foxy noxy yeah and god i bet she's like i wish i'd never fucking ever said that in my whole entire life because it's really dumb but you know, the press takes hold of that. And then we've got this sex siren who enchants men by reading Harry Potter and then uses sex to take over their whole lives or whatever and make them do evil dark deeds for all of her evil dark desires. Yeah, I think Harry Potter's first, then this, then the silly faces, and then instant sex life. Mm-hmm. That's the order. Yeah, there's some kind of a... Obviously, in Harry Potter, there's... If you do it right, there's, it's like a spell. Oh, it's witchcraft and wizardry, for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, yeah, you're a sex slave. Powerless to stop it. That's why I don't let my kids read Harry Potter. <laughs> right. It's dangerous. <laughs> Just kidding. They can't read. Um, so, <laughs> three weeks later, Patrick gives an alibi and he's released. Nothing to do with it. Like, oh, okay. Uh, just as we suspected, it's Amanda and Raphael the whole time. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, right. She says, maybe, first of all, she says, no, we had nothing to do with it. I was, you know, we were together, whatever. And then it turns into, I made this appointment with Patrick. Okay, maybe Patrick killed her. And then they're like, all right, now we're on to something. And then we find out Patrick has literally nothing to do with it. So, yeah, what does that tell you? That Amanda and Raphael were not telling the truth when they said he had something to do with it. So why then are you like, well, again, no evidence of this, but okay, we'll just remove Patrick from the equation. It was you guys. Yeah. It's it's so stupid. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. You are. The prosecutor believes that Amanda accused Patrick to get the heat off of her so that they wouldn't blame her. She knew that they were getting too close to her. They were onto her track, basically. And so she was like, Patrick did it instead of any other reason other than that. Hmm. So, and she really can't do anything right, can she? No. He said that she wouldn't just say either this is true or this is not true. She would, she was vague in her answers and stuff like that. And I can tell you why. Because the questions were just so goddamn ridiculous. Yeah. That it's like, how, how how are you supposed to give a straight answer when you're like, were you there or were you. I don't. I can't even think of anything that's just ridiculous. I literally can't. <laughs> I was trying to come up with something clever there. Yeah, good, good try. Sorry. She says that he wouldn't let up on why she said Patrick because, like, they kept asking her, "Well, why did you? Why did you blame it on Patrick or whatever?" And she's like, "No matter what I said, like when I would answer honestly, they." weren't having it they would like go back to patrick i'm sure yeah and she's like i knew then that they weren't ever going to listen to anything that i said and i was devastated because at that point she's thinking like 
I'm fucked because they it doesn't matter what I say. Like, and I'm stuck here. They're not going to listen to me. They don't believe me no matter what I say. And obviously, forensic evidence doesn't mean anything to them either. So, yeah. Did they just throw out the semen just completely? Because it's like super bad, right? And Seth Rogen's like, I just thought semen was on everything. And here they are. It literally is. And they're like, well, we're going to negate that. That obviously means nothing here. Yeah. that All that tells us is that there was an orgy and it doesn't matter who else was involved in it. We just need to know that she was. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, they really had a bullseye on her. Yeah. The... The prosecutor says that Amanda's weakness is being questioned. He says she's a little bit of an anarchist. (laughs) And he's like, is there such an attitude in Seattle? I don't know. I can only, I could speculate, but I choose to stick only to the facts. (laughs) He's a jokester, isn't he? Yeah. I was just like, comedian. You've got to be fucking kidding me. The nerve to say that. It's like, I don't know. The audacity. Pretty fucking bold. Yeah. Like when my 18-month-old pitches a fit and my four-year-old has the nerve to say, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. And I'm like, I'm sorry. You just finished a temper tantrum from hell two (laughs) seconds ago because you didn't get the blue sippy cup when you wanted it. I gave you a green one. Like, yeah. It's just like... The nerve. Yeah. The police did a health examination at the jail. And took Amanda's blood. I don't know. I guess it's something they do. Then they tell her that she has HIV and she's probably going to get AIDS. And she's terrified. And she has a journal in jail. And she writes down all of her sexual partners in her journal. And trying to remember whether she had used protection with any of them. Like, she was trying to remember, okay, did I use protection with him? Did I not? You know, whatever. So she's going through. And I don't know how many it is. However many. But she's just trying to go back through them. And so Nick's like, yeah, I got the journal and yeah, I published it. The producer's like, well, how how did you even get the journal? And he's like, well, you can't reveal your sources. If you do that, you betray all of your journalistic principles, don't you? And I'm like, what Gross. principles? Right. Yeah. You don't have any of those. No. And he's like kind of he's super smug, but just kind of like just the whole time when he's talking very smug and smirking and kind of like. Yeah. And he he talks about them like he was like, it was just really easy for me to get information in this case because anybody that I talked to, they were like, oh, this this British journalist wants to talk to me like he kind of lifted himself up as almost like a celebrity in the case. And he said that, and and maybe a lot of these people did, you know, maybe they were like, oh, well, somebody's interviewing me. I'll have my name in the paper, whatever. But, but maybe he's the kind of guy that like hires a bodyguard for himself when he doesn't fucking need one. Yes. Yes. That's how he sounds. It's just like, whatever. He uh, publishes it, you know, Secret Diary of Foxy Noxie. It's, yeah, it's gross. But turns out they lied. No HIV, no AIDS, no nothing. None of that stuff. Just mind games. And Nick seems to think that this is, like, not cool. And I'm like, well, you fucking published it. You put it out for the world to tell everybody that she has HIV when she doesn't. Like, again, you, you perpetuated that. Yeah, exactly. They say that they found a knife and that matched the characteristics of the murder in Raphael's house 
which had Amanda's DNA on the handle and Meredith's DNA on the blade. And they found traces of Raphael's DNA in Meredith's bedroom and on Meredith's bra clasp. And police say that Meredith has definitely been killed by three separate people. Okay, how would they know that? I don't know. When when police or, like, forensic investigators or whatever say that... Like, normally, if there's a knife wound and then they find a knife and say, I think this this is consistent with what committed this crime, you know? Like, the type of blade, the length, the width, like, all these things, like, whether it was serrated or not, all those kind of things. Usually, I'm like, okay, I believe that. But in this case, when they were like, well, we found a knife at Raphael's house that matched the characteristics of the murder weapon... To me, I'm kind of like, how the fuck do you know? Because I don't feel like they've done a great job with anything else. I don't know. I just feel like they're like, well, we found another knife. They're both knives. Right. Same thing. Like, I just don't, I just don't think they know what the fuck they're doing. They just... No, I mean, I wouldn't trust that as far as I could throw it, you know? Yeah. So there's fingerprints at the scene. There's the... Semen DNA, the feces, which also is going to have DNA. Well, right. We learned that from Van Breda. Remember in his turds? <laughs> oh, yeah. He did. He left a bunch of turds, didn't he? The <laughs> All this stuff can be tested. So there's a drawing. They kind of do like a diagram in the documentary of the DNA evidence, and there's one area where Raphael's DNA is found in the bedroom, like one spot. And then you see all the areas in which the other person who ends up being accused of this crime, which is Rudy Herman Gaudet. His is everywhere in the room. His DNA, like, covers it. His DNA is all over the fucking place. There's one speck where Raphael's is. And they don't show Amanda's at all in there. And she lived in the house. So Rudy had a history of breaking and entering in the area. And by this time, he had fled the country. He'd gone somewhere else. So they found a friend of his and got his friend to talk to him via Skype. And they recorded it. So, he admitted that he had met Meredith the night before she was killed, and that he went back to her house to have sex, but they ended up not having sex because they didn't have a condom. So, he went to take a shit and leave. You don't want to investigate that further, or... You know, like, why... But also, he did have sex with her. Oh, 100%. Like, are you that stupid to think that they don't know that? Like... You said you ended up not having sex because you didn't have a condom, so please explain to me how your semen got there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the condom part's probably true. Yeah, well, yeah. Also, if you are trying to have sex with a girl, don't take a shit at her house. No. Be like, oh, man, no condoms. I guess I'll just take a shit. Yeah. Bye. Go to your house and do that, weirdo. <laughs> he said while he's while he's taking this dump. I hate it. <laughs> I did that on purpose just to piss you off. He heard screaming. 
So during this moment that he, now he's alone with Meredith and he admits this, that he's alone with her, but at the, in the very moment that he's in the bathroom doing his number two business, <laughs> he hears screaming. He goes out there to check it out and he sees a man running away and Meredith was clinging to him and asking for help, but he got scared, so he just left her there. Didn't report it. No. No, didn't report it. None of that stuff. Nothing. But he does say one thing. He says Amanda had nothing to do with this. She wasn't there. At least he's told the truth on one thing. Yeah. So, case closed, right? Like, end of documentary. <laughs> like, I don't understand. Someone else's DNA is all over the place. He admits mm-hmm. to being there. Mm-hmm. He says Amanda wasn't there. H- how is it not over for her? But it's not. They still pursue this. So, Rudy is arrested. He's brought back to Italy. And then we hear Amanda's reaction to finding out about Rudy because they have it recorded where her mom tells her about it. And she's like, oh my gosh, I've seen that guy a few times, like out and about, you know, I've seen him. I just didn't know his name. I didn't know who he was, but we have seen him before. So Rudy's lawyer maintains that he did not kill her, though. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's, let's see how that plays out for you. Yeah. He says, you know, he knows he didn't kill her, but a judge may not believe it. So he decided to go for a fast track trial and not try Rudy with Amanda and Raphael. He was worried that if he got tried with them, that he would get blamed for everything and Rudy would be the only one convicted. So he was worried that and rightfully so, I guess, because Rudy is the person who did it. Right. Um, but he was worried that if all three of them were there, the jury, I guess, or the judge, I don't know. Would, it would be glaringly obvious that Rudy was... Yeah, yeah. And they wouldn't have enough on the other two. So he decided to do his trial separate. During the trial, though, he now flips and says Amanda was there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Rudy is found guilty and convicted to 30 years for his part in the murder, and then it got reduced to 16 years on appeal. And Nick, the journalist, mm. says, you know, the press gave it Rudy's trial and conviction and all that, like it's some coverage, you know, not a whole lot, but basically that nobody cared about Rudy. It was all about Amanda. And they called it the trial of the decade in Italy. And the term drug fueled sex game was used, like, hundreds of times, it seems like. It just, everybody said it was a drug-fueled sex game. And, like, the prosecutor says it a bunch, and, like... They just couldn't get enough of that whole... No, and if you if you tried to play a drinking game with this mm-hmm. documentary and have to drink every time you hear a drug-fueled sex game, you'd be hammered as fuck. Like, that's mm-hmm. all they talk about. So the prosecutor says Amanda was uninhibited. She brought boys... Home. Wow. Uh, Meredith was different from her in every way, he says. Again, if Meredith is so different from Amanda, this harlot who has sex with boys she doesn't know very well and brings them home or whatever, then why are you saying that she was taking part initially? In an orgy. Yeah, that she's just like part of an orgy that went wrong or whatever. Like Now, and during the trial, they say that she was forced into it and all that kind of stuff. But initially, they're saying no. But you're, they're trying to use the motive as, paint that as that they were so different and they didn't get along 
because of that. Mm-hmm. It just none of it goes. Like, it's just flip-flopping all over the place. He alleges that Amanda had Raphael and Rudy over together. Meredith scolded her for her questionable morals. Oh. And they got into a fight, and in an effort to indulge Amanda's dark desires, the men took part in murdering Meredith because it would really turn her on for them to stab Meredith. And then they could, like, really have some hot sex about it. Did they do any kind... Well, I don't know. I was going to ask if they did any kind of, like, uh, testing on Amanda to see if she had any of Rudy's DNA. No, but that... Yeah, that doesn't make sense either because Raphael and Amanda are, at this point, in that whirlwind, like, oh, my God, we're so in love. Like, this is a super special relationship and then the prosecution is like, and then they also, Amanda was like, oh, and by the way, um, this random dude that is a petty criminal in the area, um, I invited him over to have sex with us, too. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And her, like, bringing boys home, boys, plural, like, maybe she did, but that's fine. But it doesn't sound like she did because she was, you know... Raphael's. Yeah, she was only there a few weeks, and she met him like a week and a half into it. I mean, yeah, maybe she did sleep with somebody else in Italy, but at least one, from the point that she met Raphael, she wasn't sleeping with anybody else. I, didn't, I mean, it, it didn't seem like that to me. Yeah. Two years later, Amanda learns the verdict, and the prosecutor says that he has no doubt about the guilt of Amanda and Raphael. So, again, this is two years later. They're in jail. And Raphael said he ended up spending almost six months in solitary confinement. Like, they went through a lot with this. They both were found guilty. Amanda was sentenced to 26 years, and Raphael was sentenced to 25 years. And after the conviction, geez, I forgot about this. After the conviction, the prosecutor calls himself a prophet in his own country. And he says this propelled him to a celebrity status. People would stop him on the street and say, you know, aren't you the the prosecutor that convicted Foxy Noxy and like all this stuff? He just, wow, these people are so, he and Nick are so into the celebrity that comes along with this and not even doing their jobs correctly or appropriately. Right, yeah. And saying stuff like, you know, you're not supposed to call yourself a prophet in your own country, but... Basically, I was. Yeah, I mean, what I can't help it. Like, my hands are tied. I, I was. Like, it's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Amanda said she went through times where she considered suicide. I mean, they had, you know, she's like, my life is over. I'm not going to see my sisters. I'm not going to see my parents. I'm not going to see my friends. Like, she's not I was married. She's, not, you know, all these yeah, things. Yeah, I was just supposed to be here for however long, a couple months or something like that, a year at the most. And then go back home and like, you know, yeah, I'm going to be, she's 20, so she would have been 46 when she got out of prison. Like, awful. Raphael said he sent her flowers for her birthday just to kind of give her that sign of like, hey, I'm still here. Like, we're still going through this together. And he still had feelings for her, but she said that she wasn't into it anymore. And she was like, sorry, I don't have feelings for you anymore. And he was like, that was really what I was holding on to. Like, thinking that we were going through this together. 
um, that I had this like love to hold on to, to look forward to, that I had somebody kind of there with me almost. And now that's gone. Three years after the murder, Amanda goes back to court. They talk about how she's just pale and skinny. And they're like, well, obviously you can't, you know, you don't have hair and makeup in jail. Obviously she needs it and all this stuff. They're just like, again, making her out to be this attention-seeking, like... But that people don't say that kind of thing about men in this situation. They didn't say it about Raphael. No. And for women especially... It's damned if you do, damned if you don't. I mean, there's stuff like that for men, too, I know. But in the sense of, like, how you look. Because if a woman dresses up or does her hair and makeup it's for presentable, a court appearance, sure. they're like, well, she knew she was going to be photographed. I mean, she's all about her appearance. Yeah, obviously. Like, yeah, she was super worried about making sure she looked good. And there are some women who are overly concerned about that. Jody Arias, yeah, like... Say. You know, whatever, but um, like with Michelle Carter, you know, they're like, well, she got her hair done before and it's like, well, of course she knew she was going to be photographed because of course she was like, that's the media, but like, if, that's what they do. But if, if you show up in pajamas, yeah, they'd be like, wow, she didn't care about this. Mm-hmm. She's not, you know, whatever. So yeah, it's just either you're going to get shit for looking bad or you're going to get shit for looking good, like mm-hmm. whatever. She's back in court, though, at this point because she won an appeal for independent review of the DNA evidence in the case. Dr. Stefano Conti explains how easy it is to leave trace DNA evidence, which is what convicted Amanda and Raphael. So there's, you know, there's different types of DNA. There's your blood. There's the semen that was found of Rudy's. There's, you know, fingerprints. There's actual things that are when you actually touch something, but what convicted Amanda and Raphael is basically DNA that got on something else that touched, it like transferred DNA pretty much. That's not typically great DNA samples. Like when you've got something where somebody is physically grabbed onto something or left blood or whatever, there's a much stronger sample, like a lot more cells that you can test and all that kind of stuff. And what they were working with, with with Amanda and Raphael's DNA, what they found on it were these like minuscule little samples. It, it was just hardly anything. So there's a disparity between somebody who was actually in that room and actually at the scene and then somebody whose DNA got on it because they had been in the house previously, you know, because mm-hmm. they... Like, Amanda lived there, but Raphael was with her all the time, so if she was at home, he would have been at home with her, like, you know, for however many days. So, he says the crime scene obviously has to be kept completely sterile, which did not happen in this case. He says the police didn't wear any, like, kind of protective suits. They didn't wear protective booties on their shoes. They did not change gloves. (laughs) And the video, like, they have the crime scene video of them going through everything, the uh, one of the detectives is like kicking a door in from the outside. They just they don't do anything to protect anything. He yeah, said they're not respecting just, the scene at all. Yeah, he said it was just complete chaos and there's people just in and out and just all over the place. So then Dr. Carla Vinicotti says that the bra class, remember they said that 
the bra class had, had Raphael's yeah Raphael's DNA, DNA on yeah. it. That was not found until forty six days after the murder in the house. Oh wow! They didn't find it right away. So she said that the detectives could have brought traces of DNA into the crime scene. And she's like, DNA has to be, it must be objective. You cannot make it what you want it to be. She said Raphael's was not the only DNA found on the bra class, but the other DNA was not tested. So then they they show a diagram of like, if this was the bra class or whatever, then they show the, you know, little trace where Raphael is. And then they show all these other places where there's the unknown DNA. And they didn't test that. It's very clear that this was a witch hunt. And I say that because Amanda Knox is a witch, obviously. Yeah. But they were really, really like, whatever it takes, bring these two down. Yeah. Mostly Amanda, but whatever it takes for both. Yeah. Yeah. And... And, you know, when we were talking about that trace DNA evidence, how there's the disparity between how much DNA and, like, how good of the profile it is. So, remember that knife they found at Raphael's house that they were like, this looks like it could have been close to, like, what the murder weapon was or whatever. And it had Amanda's DNA on the handle. And Meredith's on the blade. On the blade. So, what this doctor said is that the DNA on the handle was a good, strong, complete profile. Meredith's DNA on there was so small that it was actually inconclusive. So it it basically couldn't, they couldn't rule out Meredith's DNA, but they certainly couldn't rule out essentially anybody else. So she then asked, okay, well, was this knife examined alone? And they said, well, no, we actually examined it with 50 other samples. Um, at the same time. And she's like, okay, well, you can't, like, you can't do that. You can transfer DNA that way. And they said, well, what are we supposed to do? Shut the lab down because Meredith Kircher died? We can't do that. Like, we've got to keep testing everything that we've got. We've got to keep it moving. So we're going to have to shove a bunch of shit in there at the same time. And I don't know what the, you know, how many things people typically test like what the protocol is for that one kind time, of thing. but I would think it'd be a one at a time kind of situation. Well, if you want like actual results, yeah. But in what they did, it wasn't like it wasn't like they put all of the stuff only what they found at like Raphael's house and tested that together. Which again, I, I don't think you're supposed to do. But they tested it all with like stuff that they found at at Meredith's house in her room, you know, stuff from the crime scene. Like, they put all of it together. Well, of course it's going to be contaminated. Yeah. So you've got, because from what, from what I understand, or I don't know, they never mentioned this, but nobody ever said Meredith went to Raphael's house. So her DNA shouldn't be in, in his house. But if Amanda's there all the time, they're cooking dinner together she she probably is handling a knife there. So there there would be that good, complete profile because she's physically grabbing onto it. But Meredith shouldn't be there. But if you're testing it with stuff from her house, then of course that can transfer over. Like, that's a really good explanation of why there would be such a minuscule profile. It would be interesting to know, do you know any anything about cases in italy like is there a jury is it just the judge that decides either way i think that the media definitely tried her oh yeah 
without, you know, like that they had so much to do with it. So it's like, no matter what, if it was just the jury or if it was the judge, whoever, everybody's got the skewed view of her. There's no way she was going to get a fair trial. You couldn't move it to any country in the world and go to fair trial. No, yeah, not with how not with how big it was then. Um, okay, so it says Italy does not have a jury system and they do not sequester the lay judges until the deliberations phase. I typed in, does Italy have jury trials? And the article that came up is, Amanda Knox's case is a lesson in understanding the Italian justice system. Mm. So let's see what they say here. Amanda Knox's case highlights key differences between the American and Italian criminal justice systems. Many Americans take for granted their due process rights and the operation of an adversarial judicial system that focuses on the fairness of the proceedings and the rights of defendants elements that do not exist in the justice systems of other countries. Italy has traditionally had an inquisitorial system where courts are involved in investigations in addition to presiding over court proceedings. In layman's terms, that means the prosecutor and judge work together in a fact-finding mission. That's interesting. Isn't that wildly biased? I would think. how How does the defense have a chance in hell? Right. It says this is an important distinction because in Italy, the judge who will be deciding a defendant's guilt or innocence often knows all of the evidence before the defense and the defendant. The judge has likely made up his or her mind about how to proceed in the case before the trial even starts. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm sorry. Wow. That just doesn't seem fair. No. So they don't have innocent until proven guilty Not even a little bit. And it's almost like the judge is another prosecutor. That's, yeah, that's exactly what the judge is, it seems like. It says, any professional judge would likely be prejudiced after reading the full investigative report, especially if it implies the defendant's guilt. Many scholars have noted that the judge's decision-making process is likely affected by this process, and judges may be inclined to side with the public official's rendition of the case and evidence. A move to make the Italian system more adversarial occurred in 1988 with the development of a new Italian code that attempted to replace the inquisitorial practice with one that created a fairer environment for the defendant. Under the new code, the judges are to act as an unbiased reviewer of evidence and testimony and may not help the prosecutor in fact-finding missions. Many judges who strongly valued their traditional role likely considered this new approach as an effort to take away power. To this day, there is little evidence that a real transformation has occurred in Italian courts. Knowledge of such a justice system was likely new and shocking to many Americans following the Amanda Knox trial. As Robbins pointed out in the New York Times, there are many points of divergence between the court systems in the United States and Italy. Just to name a couple, in the United States, a defendant taking the stand must take an oath to tell the truth. In Italy, no such oath exists. Really? In the United States, we grant a trial by jury of one's peers for felony defendants if they request it. In Italy, there is no actual trial by peers option. Usually, the trial is decided by a panel of judges, but for very serious crimes, there will be two judges appointed to the trial and six citizens. So maybe that's what they're calling the lay judges. Mm. 
The United States sequesters juries during a trial of grand notoriety. In Italy, Italy not only does not have a jury system like the U.S., they do not sequester the lay judges until the deliberations phase. This means those presiding over the case are listening to the media and taking in information from many different angles, not only the courtroom. In the United States, a decision of murder, a decision in a murder trial must be unanimous. In Italy, it only needs to be the majority. And finally, and this one goes in Amanda Knox's favor, in Italy, the defendant has that has been convicted can request a full review and new trial of fact. In the United States, we only focus on errors of process and application of the law in the review and appeals process. Well, one out of 75 isn't bad, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I have always wondered that, though. Like, why, why in our justice system is it like it has to be a constitutional violation that doesn't make any sense like because it costs too much money to do it all over again i guess i don't know i guess but it's like especially with the advances in science you should be able to review evidence you should be able to retest the entire thing yeah. yeah but i mean you see it all the time they fucking throw away evidence they it gets lost it get they put it in a yeah um they use it for boxes to stop flooding you know what i mean like on friends <laughs> yeah yeah exactly Had to save the porsche exactly um so i'll post the link to that article that i just read that from it's too super interesting yeah it is interesting it's good point brought up by tori one would say i'm a prophet of this podcast oh my goodness you can't call yourself a prophet in your own podcast i wouldn't want to say that but when you are, you are what, what else are you supposed to do right going back to the knife and the dna found on that and all that stuff Dr. Carla Venicotti says this is clear evidence of contamination because you're seeing that huge disparity in the quality of the profiles and those kind of things. So she said the fact that you saw those differences led her to ask that question, was this tested by itself? And they're like, well, no, we tested it with a billion other things. And she's like, okay, well, obviously this is contaminated evidence you can't fucking do that yeah rudy's attorney is (laughs) this is so funny he's so pissed that stupid americans have the nerve to lecture italians about the law he's like we had courthouses this courthouse has been here since 1308 americans were drawing buffaloes in caves then (sighs) okay (laughs) you fucking idiots (laughs) (laughs) like he's really mad he's like okay so you think you're smart well you guys were pissing your drawers we (laughs) We already had a fucking courthouse okay and it's like okay but listen to all the things we just read off though yeah and also it's like just because you've been doing it longer does not mean that you're doing it more efficiently exactly better yeah and a lot of times in my experience with my profession, people who are doing things longer sometimes are so set in their ways. Exactly. Yeah. But they don't want to see things from an outside perspective. Right. Even if it could make things easier or better or whatever it is. Yeah. It's like. Right. You run. I mean, you run into that. Yeah. At work all the time. And I mean, Rudy's attorney did a perfect job of. Like proving that with that statement, I think, where he's like, 
what yeah you know? exactly well and He's like, not even listening <laughs> no and in that article they said that n- literally no transformation has even happened yeah because when they did try to make those changes they were like what are you trying to take my power away yeah you tell me what i you're not my real mom and you never will be <laughs> exactly there's something to that like obviously the american judicial system is not perfect there well, are sure, wrongful we're all convictions yeah stuff like that but here we get a little bit more of a fair trial sometimes sometimes yeah in italy i think it it could be safe to say no disrespect if you are part of the defense not looking great for you exactly well and that's one thing that like the whole fair trial thing there's gonna have to be something done about that everywhere because especially the age that we are i mean this was in what 07 i mean it's we're light years ahead technology wise already and we really really need to do something about the media involvement yes yeah because they i was listening to a podcast about um the scott peterson trial and all that kind of stuff and you know that was 2002 and again he there was nowhere he was going to get a fair trial i remember that case when it happened you know i was a sophomore in high school and i remember seeing it on the news and being like that's the guy that killed his wife now i do think that he killed his wife sure i was gonna say fuck that guy but but i don't think that he got a fair trial and i don't think it was possible for him to and compound that with social media and everything now where everything's immediate in what way like there's got to be some way to make that more fair there's going to have to be something that addresses the changes in technology. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the answer is, but, you know, there's I think we're going to we will have to end up making some new laws and change some things because there's really no way. I mean, unless you completely took away somebody's phone. Mm-hmm. But even by the time you get to trial, there's already been a ton of information. Casey Anthony's case. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean. She's the only one that, according to her, got the most fair trial of them all. Yeah. She's like, I really, I'm all for. Yeah. There's no problems with the justice system. Me. Worked for me. Exactly. So the prosecutor is irritated at the attack on his investigation. And he says, America is only focused on DNA, not any of the other stuff. You know, w- America didn't see Amanda's eyes when he talked to her. And he could see into her eyes. He could see that she's a murderer when he looked at her. Like, you didn't look at her. But that's that's so, like, your opinion, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That was a little Big Lebowski quote. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, your opinion, man. It doesn't... That's not, not fact! fact. Jinx, you owe me a coat. And it's not evidence. It's not fact, it's not evidence. But like, all he cares about is facts, remember? Exactly. Yeah. I know, that's what I'm saying. You get what you get and don't throw a fit. <laughs> so he said Amanda lied too much and her behavior was irrational. And all those things, only those things need to be taken into account when deciding her innocence or guilt, correct? And what is he saying, though, that she lied about? Because initially she said she was home and all these things. They've never proven that she wasn't home. 
their proof that she wasn't or at Raphael's, their proof that she wasn't at Raphael's was her text to Patrick because clearly they'd made an appointment with each other. All right, see you later. Yeah, but then Patrick alibis himself and it checks out. So they weren't together. The only reason that she began telling lies like that was because... They questioned her for 26 plus hours or some shit. Yeah, they... It was false confession kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's... And they were twisting her words. Yeah. And mistranslating. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it just... It doesn't make any sense. So they, they review all of the evidence and everything. She ended up being freed in 2011... But it wasn't until March of 2015 that they finally definitively exonerated Amanda and Raphael. Good God in heaven. Yeah. So when they exonerated them in 2015, they did say that she was still guilty of committing calumnia against Lumumba, which I think was accusing him when he had nothing to do with it but then in 2016 she was acquitted of that too because they said she'd been struck in the head by the police interrogator and all that kind of stuff so i bet the prosecutor is so pissed now Mm -hmm. yeah i mean he's like all of you people are attacking me and saying i didn't do this right and all these things but you know you're just focusing on one aspect and that's the dna and it's it's it really is that like we only have Rudy's DNA all over the place. We know that he has a history of breaking into homes. We know that the home was broken into and he I could be remembering incorrectly, but I think that he had a history of rape too. So all these if he things, didn't, he does now. Yeah. Yeah. And they're turning around and being like but Amanda acted weird. So she had to have been in on it with him. There's well, no evidence the they covers. knew each other. Oh, in the covers. Yeah, because only a woman would do that. It's a woman's crime. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, there's no evidence they knew each other. There's no evidence that they ever talked to each other, that they had anything to do with each other. There's no evidence at all that any of them had any connection to this Rudy guy other than he broke into houses in that area. I mean, it, it definitely seems like a stranger on stranger attack. It does not seem like there's any connection whatsoever. They couldn't prove that at all, but you know, we're just focused on the DNA. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, we are the everybody else is the one with the problem, right? Yeah. Ugh. And uh Amanda is now married and she's a journalist and she's an activist and she wrote a memoir called Waiting to Be Heard. So that's it. That's the that's the case. We would love to hear your opinions on this because I know it's interesting to hear that some people are on the fence about her innocence or guilt. So we would love to hear what you guys think if you are on the fence and why. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting to to me, it seems pretty clear cut that it was tunnel vision and I don't think she had anything to do with it. Right. But I think that there is, I mean, we always encourage having a very respectful discussion about it. Like, let's, we're not trying to attack anybody. We're not trying to do anything like that. No, no, no. Yeah. We excourage fighting, name calling, bullying, all these things. All those things. Yeah. Which one yeah. talk about it? Yeah. Because this documentary is definitely biased. 
I think, on the on Amanda's, Amanda's side. side. Sure, absolutely. So, and that's where, that's what we covered was the documentary. So if there is anything that's like, whoa, this is a huge, because all the prosecutor talks about is just behavior related. He doesn't say, he doesn't give any any evidence that says, but this is why we thought she was guilty. So if there is something that he wasn't talking about. Or if I'd they cut it out or something, yeah, it'd be yeah, interesting I'd to I'd be see interested that. to hear what it is. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next episode. Love you guys. Love you. Thank you so much. Next week. Bye. Bye.